It ain't going to get you fame, fortune, power. It's not going to get you a whole lot of anything. That is just not the way. Don't start. Don't have a lot of money. Don't have the power. Don't have a lot of okay, authority. Keep the mouse away from the corner. This world. But the name of Jesus carries with it. All this thing disappeared. All wrapped up in the name of Jesus. So we speak the name of Jesus. The God of so glad that you're in the house of the Lord this morning. Glad that you're in the presence of God today. It makes a difference when God is here. It makes a difference when you're here. Man, have your Bibles. If you'd like to go with me again, the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 3. I'll just read one verse there and then one verse in Proverbs, chapter 24. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 is where we find this picture that the Apostle Paul was painting as to exactly what we are. I believe it's important to know what you are. I'd hate to know, I'd hate to find out someday that I had the authority to, to, to call millions of dollars into my situation I never used it. They don't act like y'all. Somebody showed up and said, did you know that your name was worth a billion dollars? You'd be kind of upset they didn't find you early. You've got some bills you can get paid. You take care of some problems in your life. Bills, you own the whole We need to know who we are in God. Paul says in verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry, you're his field, you are God's building. We're the field, we're the vineyard, we're also the building. Proverbs chapter 24 puts all this in divine order for you and I. With the work of what? Proverbs 24 and 27 says, prepare thy word without. And make it fit for thyself in the field. And afterwards, build my house. You gotta work on the field first before you build the house. Build the house first, there's nothing in the field. Somebody's gonna be hungry come October. Make everything ready in the field and afterwards build the house. And so Last week I preached to you about preparing the field for today. I'll take rocket science. Agree. Preach about preparing the house. Amen. Let's lift up our heads and our voices. Let's worship God together. Lord, we love you, Jesus. We thank you for the altar of your forgiveness we have today. To come and stand in your presence and lift up your holy name. Oh Lord, we are blessed by your presence. We ask you, Lord, change us, transform us, make us over again, draw us closer to you. Let us be overflowing with the power of the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of the Lord. Amen. Last week we preached all about 
preparing the field. And I'm not really going to go re-preach that message. You'll just have to go watch the, the live stream replay if you want to get all of that. But, but it simply comes down to this. There's no point building a barn if you don't have anything to put in it. You've got the nicest, biggest barn of anybody in the Tri-County area, but if you don't have anything to put inside the barn, you're going to starve to death. You're not going to have anything to eat. What good does it do us to have the biggest, most magnificent cathedral that ever has been built on God's earth if we don't have any people saved by the grace of God and standing in it? And what good does it do to come clean the church on a Saturday and get it sparkly clean and nobody's coming in on Sunday morning? you got to prepare things in the field. You and I must be witnesses for the Lord. And all that starts with you and I. From the very moment that you become saved, from the very moment that you repent of your sins and, and you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ the remission of those, of those sins, and you have been filled with the Holy Ghost, from the moment you become saved, you need to be in the saving business. You need to become a witness for God day one. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know the answer to every question somebody might ask you. You've just got to be a witness for God. How do you do that? You know what God did for you. You know how God changed your life. You know the message that was preached when you went to the altar and repented of your sins. You've got enough to be in the saving business. You've got to be a witness for God. Because whatever it was you've got, if you needed it, they needed it too. Amen. Whatever salvation you've got, they need the same salvation. And we must be a witness for the Lord. We have got to get out into the field. Amen. We've got to get out into the field. I, I, I pay particular attention at times when I come across instances in the Bible where it says God prayed for something. Jesus prayed for something. That must mean it probably should make it to the higher part of my prayer list. And the Lord said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest. We've got to be working in the field. But that doesn't mean there's never going to be a day that a house is built. It doesn't mean that there's ever going to be a, a building that is built. In fact, Paul said, you are both the husbandry, you're both the field, and you're the building. So I think I want to know what that is. I don't want to know what half of what I am. I want to know all of what I am. And so, what house? I mean, what, what house should be built? We, we all know we live in houses, whether yours is small or large or new or old. We all know that we live someplace, whether you own it or whether you rent it, it's yours as long as you're there. But we know what that's all about. But what house matters most? We know what the answer is supposed to be. You know, we know the house is supposed to matter most. It's supposed to be the house of God. It's supposed to be the place that we come to, to be together with God's people and in relationship with Him. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and I'm not taking this a little bit before the scripture that we ended on last Sunday, and it talked about what was going on. You know, Psalm had that, that thing that, that we quote so many times about people who are called by my name, and 
themselves and pray. That was really the punchline last Sunday. If you missed it, that we need to pray. If we want to win souls, we've got to touch heaven. We've got to pray that God will give us the wisdom and the opportunity to do that. But, but think for a moment, and I'm going to tell you if you don't know, what was going on at the time that this prayer was answered. Solomon was building or had finished building the house of God. Second Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Then said Solomon, the Lord had said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. And something that was already said. They experienced that when they came out of Egypt and they were standing before the mountain of God. And then the darkness and the smoke and the fire descended upon the top of that mountain. And Moses went up into it and got the word of God and so on and so forth. Solomon said, the Lord himself said, I will dwell in the thick darkness. But then he says, but. But I have built a house of habitation for thee and a place for thy dwelling forever. It's kind of odd to you. He says, God said, I'm going to dwell in the thick darkness. I'm going to dwell up there where you're not. I'm going to dwell in this place in the universe. But Solomon says, but I built him a house. And you all built a house for somebody that ever moved into it? What's the point of that? I mean, why, why would you go to that expense? Why would you go to that trouble? Why would you go to all that anxiety of building a home that nobody had any intention of living in? He said, but I had built him a house. And if that weren't interesting enough, if you roll on down to, to verse 18, it says, but will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I have built. I know we like to get excited when we read that. Heaven and heavens cannot contain thee. But Solomon's the one talking. Why did he build the house? Why did he build the temple? Why did he build this structure when he himself is saying nothing can contain God? Why would you build a house for a God that can never be enclosed in a house? Verse 19, Solomon keeps on talking. And he says, Have respect, therefore, to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee. Now we're starting to get a little bit of insight. What is this house about? What is this house for? Well, he starts talking about prayer. That's what we talked about last week. That's how we get things straight in the field. Yes, it kind of makes sense. That's how we get things straight in the house, right? I mean, in the New Testament, it was Jesus himself. When he got all of them out of shape because they were, they were selling things and ripping people off and, and doing all kinds of things in the courts of the, the temple that he didn't think ought to be done, he turned over the tables and, and he cast out the money changers and he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. So Solomon is giving us insight as to why he built this thing. What is, what is it about? Now, I've got a lot of verses I'm going to read to you in this chapter, and I try to talk myself out of it because I don't want anybody to get tired of listening, but it's just too good. It's just too good. Verse 20, that thine eyes may be open upon this house 
Israelites, they shall make toward this place. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, and when thou hearest, forgive. He's just going on talking about God, I want you to hear our prayer. God, I want you to hear our prayer. God, I want you to hear our prayer. The reason this is so good is because human nature would tell us all the time that prayer is not enough. Sometimes even the prayer is an excuse for inaction. Won't you just quit praying about it and do something? Well, there's a time to do something. There's a time to do stuff. But if you ain't praying about it, I suggest you not do stuff. Because you don't know what you need to be doing. If you have prayed about it, especially when it comes to things that pertain to God and God's people. If you didn't pray about whether you go to McDonald's or Wendy's, I understand you might get poisoned by their food and die. But the odds are kind of in your favor you'll be alright. I don't know if the perfect will of God you know, takes into consideration what you eat for lunch this afternoon. Maybe it does. Maybe I don't pray about that enough. But, but I don't know that I'm often getting too convicted except when I eat too much about you know, where I chose to go and eat. But when it comes to God's house, but there's some things I need to pray about. There's some things I need to make sure I get straight. There's some things I need to make sure I get right. Because if there's anybody in this whole universe that I don't want to be at odds with, it's with God. Now, I understand if you're right with God, you don't want to be at odds with other folks either. But, but I want to make sure that's my starting point. So human nature would tell us, you know, prayer is not with the law. The song that keeps on going. He says, if a man sin against his neighbor, and an oath be laid upon him to make him swear, and the oath come before thine altar in this house, then hear thou from heaven and do, and judge thy servants by requiting the wicked, by recompensing his way upon his own head, by justifying the righteous, by giving him according to his righteousness. So if somebody has a problem with somebody else, I want you to hear us when we pray about it. And when we pray about it, I want you to fix it. Verse 24, and if thy people in Israel be put to the worst before the enemy, because they've sinned against thee, and shall return and confess thy name, and pray and make supplication before thee in this house, then hear thou from the heavens, and forgive the sin of thy people in Israel, and bring them again to the land which thou gavest to them and to their fathers. So when they are at odds with their enemy, when the enemy is coming against them, when the enemy is oppressing them, and even when it is because they sin, we always like to forget that. Well, there's plenty of persecution that comes because of our godliness, but sometimes we mess up and make mistakes and have to pay the consequences for it. We're living in a day where there's a lot of kingdoms of this world that are about to enjoy the consequences of sin. And even if it don't happen today or tomorrow, the Bible tells us it will happen. There's always going to be judgment for sin and for wickedness. But Solomon says, this is a solution to this problem. That if our enemies are coming against us, that if we would pray, if we would seek the Lord, then God would deliver us from our enemies. Verse 20, I mean, verse 20. Verse 26. When the heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they've sinned against thee, yet if they pray toward this place and confess thy name, turn from their sin without us afflict them, then hear thou from heaven, forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel, when thou hast taught them the good way wherein they should walk and sit rain upon thy land which thou hast given unto the people for an inheritance. Tells me that if it's not raining, 
If I desperately need rain to make the field grow, don't nothing grow in the field without rain. I know we can survive a drought every once in a while, but eventually it's got to rain. If there's no water on it, it's going to die. And so Solomon says, when this problem comes up, if we turn from our sins and pray, God, I want you to let the rain fall. I've come to tell you, if you're wondering what you've got to do to have revival in your life, if you're wondering what you've got to do to get things right with your neighbor, if you're wondering what to do to get things right with the enemy, if you're wondering what to do to become a soul winner, pray. Touch heaven. Because God will hear If there be dearth in the land, if there be pestilence, if there be blasting or mildew, locusts or caterpillars, if their enemies besiege them in the cities of their land, whatsoever sore or whatsoever sickness there be, then what prayer or what supplication soever shall be made of any man or of all that people of Israel, when everyone shall know in his own sword, his own grief, and shall spread forth his hands in this house, then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive, and render unto every man according to all his ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men, that they may fear thee to walk in thy ways, so long as they live in the land which thou gavest of their fathers. If their sickness if there's pestilence, if there's pain, if there's death, what is the answer? Pray. Seek the Lord, and the Lord will hear from his people. Now, I won't read the, the, the whole rest of the duration of the chapter, but he just goes on one after one. I, I think Solomon kind of understood that if I've got God's attention, if I'm going to get God to make a promise with us, then I'm going to make sure I get all my bases covered. Lord, if the enemies come in, I will be able to pray and you turn to flight. If there's no rain in the earth, God, I will be able to pray and you make it rain. God, if there's nothing broken in the fields and there's nothing to put in the barns, I will be able to touch heaven. And if I touch heaven, I want you to hear and I want you to answer. I've come to tell you today that the way you lay a foundation in the field is the same way you lay a foundation in the house. We must touch heaven. You know why sometimes church turns out the way it does? Because we didn't pray. I know we're people. I know we're going to talk about the news. I know we're going to talk about all that hunting and fishing stuff that Brother Saints don't want to hear. I know that. But if we don't get around to touching heaven, don't expect heaven to show up. Because that's not what this house is about. This house is about being a house of prayer for all people. When I come into the house of God, I want heaven to come down. I want God to be in this place. Because if God doesn't come, the only thing we get is have a social gathering. But if God comes into this place, everything can change. Enemies can be repelled. Rain can come down to a dry earth. Souls can be saved. If God comes down, that's what makes this place so important. That's what makes the house of God so powerful. Which is how we got to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. When the prayer begins to be answered, the 
The Lord said in verse 12, The Lord appeared to Solomon by night, said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. If I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes shall be opened, and my ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name be there forever, and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark it becomes, no matter how much wickedness rises in this world, as long as the church of the living God is here, God's listening. As long as we're not been raptured, God's eyes and His heart are turned to His people. And if we will humble ourselves, if we will turn from our sins and reach out in prayer, God will hear.
which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now hold on a minute. Didn't God say it was just one place? I mean, he, he would think that you know, Jesus died and sacrificed his flesh. He rose again. He just strolled into the temple. He'd say, move away from my seat. I mean, that's kind of what they were thinking he was going to do. And yet, somebody with divine revelation writes that Jesus, when he died and rose again, did not waltz into the holy place made with hands, which are figures of the truth, but into heaven itself. You see, the tabernacle that later became the temple was first the tent, and then it was a physical building, but all of those things were made by the hands of men. Men made the cloth, men laid the bricks, Men, men melted the gold down and covered up the altar. Men built all of those things with their own hands. But it wasn't what they built. It wasn't the fact that, that they had made it attractive and made it beautiful and made it something to be desired. It wasn't because of that that made it powerful. We're back in the Old Testament. Look at Exodus chapter 38. If you like grammar, you'll enjoy this. If you don't, just hold on. Exodus chapter 38, verse 21. It says, This is the sum of the tabernacle. So this is after God has given Moses all the instructions. The first time this house was built. This is the sum of the tabernacle. Even of the tabernacle of testimony, as it was counted according to the commands of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, son to Aaron the priest. Let me just sing a little bit. An odd way to say this. This is the sum of the tabernacle, even of the tabernacle. It's like you walking out saying, son, I want you to wash the car, even the car. I mean, he may have said that somewhere along the way. But I don't think he was trying to get Moses' attention. Moses was paying very close attention because God said, you better be sure you get this exactly right according to the pattern. So Moses, God had Moses' undivided attention. And yet it says, this is the sum of the tabernacle, even of the tabernacle. Why say it twice? What is the repetition for? This is the interpretation. There wasn't one tabernacle. Oh, now wait a minute. The Bible says, Solomon said, God spoke to Solomon and said, even this house. But you've got to think about what the house was for. Well, I knew I'd get Sister Vicky. She's the queen of the tabernacle. Period. There was a 
do it right. Because it has to be like the one up in heaven. Because God's plan was not for that earthly tabernacle to be the end of all things. It was not for that building to take on greater significance than Him. He was trying to get across to us. There's a way to touch God. There's a way to get a hold of heaven. And it is seen according to the pattern. Amen. If we want heaven here on earth, then we've got to do on earth what gets done in heaven. And the writer of Hebrews don't leave it up to the imagination. Chapter 9, verse 1 tells us all about it. Then verily the first covenant also had ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. It's the tabernacle. It was the temple. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer in the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rods of blood in the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Y'all going to be thankful that the preacher can't speak particularly on it this morning. It take us until Jesus comes to explore the depth of everything that we see in the Old Testament tabernacle. But I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version this morning. What was in the tabernacle was a divine blueprint. And it wasn't just for our salvation on the cross. But it was for our relationship with God at all times. If we're going to make straight the way of the Lord, if we're going to prepare for His coming, if we're going to make the house right, and we're going to win souls by doing the work of God, we've got to get everything in the house the way God has it in His. We've got to get everything down here in our little building on Enzyme Road and in this little body of believers on planet Earth in lies with the way things happen in heaven. Amen. Now remember, to, to get into this building, and again, I'm not going to speak particularly only, but to get into this building, you already had to get past the altar. And you already had to get past the labor, which was a big bowl of water that you washed yourself in. To get into the church, you repent of your sins, and you're baptized in Jesus' name. That gets you in the door. But unfortunately, for too long, in too many places at Pentecost, everybody felt like that was the end of their journey. They repented of their sins. They got baptized in Jesus' name. And when they walked in the door, they got filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'm just going to sit here right on that until Jesus comes. When that just got you in the door of the tabernacle, I wish to goodness God would give me enough power and anointing and right words to get across to God's people just who they are. You are more than just a sinner saved by grace. You are an ambassador from heaven. You're a child of the king. You're a witness of the one eternal God. So what does it mean? How do we prepare the house? 
What is it we're supposed to be doing in this house of God, this building? And what is it we're supposed to be doing no matter where we are because we're the church even outside the building? What is it we're supposed to do? What does it mean to have church? Well, that's a question sure has gotten asked over the past year, isn't it? What does it mean to have a church? The scripture says in that first room, there were three things. The first mentions the candlestick. Inside the tabernacle, there was a lamp. The deepest I'm going to get and explain what it looked like. It was the lamp. It had oil that flowed through it, and it lit up the room. The candlestick would illuminate the entire inside of the building. Otherwise, you'd see nothing. There were no windows. There were no skylights. There was no electricity. The only way you were going to see and understand anything that was in that room is if you had the candlestick lit. Church, without the leading of the Spirit of God, we are dead men walking. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what their plans and programs are. There are times we can learn from some things. Even Jesus himself told us that there are sinners that are wise about some things. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, if you and I are walking around and we're not being led by the Holy Ghost, we're going to fall into the ditch. And everybody walking with us is going to fall into the ditch. Which is why you've got to be saved. There are things in Scripture you'll never understand. I don't care how many times you read them. I don't care how many languages you read them in. I don't care how many commentators you, you read about what they think those things mean. There are things you will never see until God turns the candle on. Which is why when we come to the house of God, we need some Holy Ghost-filled saints to an already touched heaven. We need Holy Ghost-filled saints Toasted. It don't taste quite so bad when you toast it. 
And then maybe if you're if you're really broke and you ain't throwing that right away, well, you can make French toast out of it. You can soak it in some eggs and some milk, fry it, it'll be all right. Where do you think they came all the stuffing from? Why do you think they stuck it in turkey? Bread had to be on the place every week. Yeah. You had to be baked all over again. Had to be prepared all over again. Had to be put on that table all over again. There had to be fresh bread in cocktails. Why? Because it's what sustained the priests. It's what they ate. It's what they, they lived off of. It's what blessed them and it's what reminded them of their purpose and what they were doing. Alright, somebody spiritual needs to get there. When we come to the house of God, there's got to be bread on the table. Every time they come into this place. Now, I'm not saying there's no time that, that we don't have a service and God comes down and ministers in a way that the preacher can't preach. But, but that's the exception, not the rule. When we right. come to the house of God and the atmosphere is set, somebody better get behind a pulpit. If we gather together in the classrooms of Sunday school, somebody better stand behind a Sunday school book and begin to bring fresh bread out of the ovens of heaven because you and I can't survive all the things from down here. We've got to survive all things that were spoken in the heavens. We need to be fed. Amen. Why do you think it is? The Bible says. Same book of Hebrews tells us we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why? Because we'll starve to death if we don't. I know you can read your Bible. I know you've got the Holy Ghost. But you need to be in the house of God and you need somebody preaching truth into your life. And it's always got to be made by the same recipe. The message never changes. Never changes. We have to preach the unadulterated truth. The pulpit can't be swayed by politics. It can't be silenced by fear. The pulpit cannot let bread get old and stale. But every time we gather together, we need the word of God. We don't not ever be sitting there hoping, man, if I'm sing a couple more times, the preacher won't have to preach. I understand if God takes over, I'm letting But I've also come to tell you, I don't care whether we sing for 10 minutes or an hour and a half. When the singing's done, somebody's spirit needs to be saying, preach to me.
Isaiah 6, about them. 
A6. The prophet writes, verse 1, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high lifted up, and his train filled the temple. A Hebrew translation says this, And the skirts of his robe filled the temple. Does mean anything to you? The skirts of his robe? You realize that just touching the hem of his garment is enough to fill the house with glory. Verse 2 says, Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Doorposts would shake at the sound of the angels that worship God. You want to get something moving in this house? Worship God. Amen. Amen. Why does the devil fight you and fight me so much to sit down with my worship? Because he knows. He knows what happens when we do. He knows that God's people begin to worship. The glory comes down. The closer the doors begin to shake. What do you think is better, folks? The same other Hebrew translation says, instead of fill the house, it says kept filling the house. Why would it say that? Why would it, why would it say that? Why would, it, why would the translations be different? Because the Hebrew word doesn't distinguish between past tense and future tense. There's no difference. The word is the same. Thank you, Sister Mitch. So here's this, what this unqualified Hebrew grammar expert is going to tell you about that. That means that what happened when the prophet had a vision in the year that the king Uzziah died, what happened back then? What happened in the past happens in the same way and in the same degree in the future. Oh, come on, somebody. That means right here, right now, it's the children of God who begin to lift up their hands and begin to worship and begin to touch heaven. Tells us. He was a king of God's people. 
Verse 16 tells us something very interesting about him. But when he was strong, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Did you ever see that verse? Azariah the priest went in after him with him four score, eighty priests of the Lord that were valiant men, and they withstood Uzziah the king. Said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the son of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. He was out of order. It wasn't his job. He wasn't the king, and you couldn't be king and priest. Only the priest could burn the incense. He said, you've got to get out. You've been wrong. Verse 19 says that Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. While he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests of the house of the Lord and from beside the incense altar. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. Uzziah the king was a leper to the day of his death. He dwelt in a several house. Uzziah had to change where he lived because he disobeyed the order of God. What was that? Everything Uzziah had planned and everything he had accomplished meaningless now because he got out of order with God. If we ever for one moment lose sight of what we are in God, and what his house is for, and what our purpose here is, we've missed it all. I know there are things that look different. I know there are things at times that feel different. But there are things about God's house that never change. And Uzziah the king had to move because he got out of God's word. But I've come to tell you today that in our New Testament there was a declaration that had before time never been understood. The apostle wrote and said, You are a chosen generation. He was God. You are a royal priesthood. Priesthood. Our Lord and Savior was the son of David of the tribe of Judah. He wasn't supposed to go in that house according to that old promise. But you and I were chosen to be both royalty and priestly. Amen. I'm not trying to go too deep this morning. I'm just trying to tell you that we have a right and we have a prerogative in the hour of the day. Sunday through Saturday to get into the presence of God.
Spirit, come 